You know, in the Fijian custom, barren women are looked down upon. I've always read in the scriptures, and the story of Hannah always inspires me. I keep telling myself, if Hannah can get a child from the temple, from the Lord at that age, I can get one too. That's Silhouette Kama, a faithful convert who, at the age of 38, after caring for a number of other people's children over the years, realised she may not be able to have children biologically. With a strong testimony of the power of praying to the Lord in his holy temple, Sulu and her husband travelled to Tonga, the nearest temple at the time, to petition the Lord for a child. What unfolded next is nothing short of miraculous. Sulu joins me in this episode from VG. She's been tremendously involved with the church over the years, everything from the church historian for Fiji, a service missionary in the Fiji Suva Mission Office, and the Fiji Church Communication Director, which is her current role. I'm Maddie Sterling, and this is Choosing Faith, a podcast where we talk with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and explore what it's really like to live and continuously choose a life of faith across Australia and New Zealand, or in this case, Fiji. Welcome, Sulu. I'm really glad that I was introduced to you because you have such a genuine testimony in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can just hear it in your voice. It just shines through. And I really, I know you've lived a life of service, continually giving to people. So I'm excited to hear more about that. Okay. Oh, I'm excited (laughs) to talk to you too. I've been impressed with you for someone so young putting all this. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories. I was uh, from. I, I used to be the church historian for Fiji uh, for a few years, and now I'm uh, the uh, church communication director. So I'm always interested in history. So I'm always collecting stories and collecting things on the on how the church developed in Fiji. How many members are in Fiji at the moment? We have eighteen thousand members. Okay. Yeah. It's small. It's small. Yeah. The church has uh, only uh, officially started in 1954. So we're pretty young. Yeah, it's not very yeah. long ago. No. And today we have four stakes, three districts, and we have uh, a temple, and we have two schools. Church schools? Two church schools. One primary school oh. and one uh, secondary college. And oh, that's uh, cool. the secondary school has just, we just got into a boarding school last year to cater for the Melanesian students. That's the students from uh, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea. Oh, great. How long have you been a member of the church? I'm just a second generation uh, convert. My parents were converts. Then uh, I got converted. We were converted in 1976. And you were baptized as a child? 18 years old. 18? Yes. Oh, wow. So I'm, uh, you know, yeah, I was pretty, yeah, I was finishing high school when my parents got converted. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. And you've told me that you had a fun period in your 20s. You did lots of things, traveled the world. Oh, yes. All the sides. Yes. (laughs) You married a little bit later, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I got married when I was 32. I wasn't getting, I wasn't ready to be married. I enjoyed my freedom. I I always call that my free years, you know, I could just go work. And then because I was a teacher, we have eight, eight weeks holidays at the end of the year. So each year I make sure I get out of the country. I travel. So I loved it because that, you know, that was time I could do whatever I wanted to do and go wherever I wanted to go. 
Absolutely. Oh, well, it sounds like you've had a lot of adventures. That's very oh, yeah. great to we hear. Love adventures. We love adventures. And I love it. Even when we were down here in the western side of the island, we are always going around the mountains. We'll go with uh, my son and I will make sure I pack our towels and also there whenever we come through a stream or a river, we'll jump in and swim for a while before we continue our journey. I love that. <laughs> How awesome. Now, you obviously have just a love and a passion for life. But as I said, you've got a a testimony of the gospel and you've talked to me particularly about the temple Uh and how it can be a wonderful place to receive answers to prayers. Can you tell me about the first time that you gained this testimony? Okay. From 1987, I started teaching institute. See, at that time, I was single and I was dating a Catholic teacher. My mom always tells me, you need to get married. So if something happens to us, we know that you have somebody who can look out for you. I said, why? I am enjoying my life as a free, you know, free young woman who can do whatever she wants to do. And then I used to teach institute. And one day in institute class, I'm not sure which prophet said that, you know, if, in order for you to lift somebody else, you've got to be on a higher ground. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been dating a Catholic teacher. How am I going to get him up to a higher ground? You know, and then as I taught the Institute, I kept getting the promptings that I needed to go to the temple to ask if the marriage is something that the Lord wants me to do, then I need to know who I was going to marry because it's serious business. I had my idea of what kind of person whom I'm supposed to marry. And my idea is, well, it has to be somebody who's well-educated like me, who earns more than me, who has, you know, a good job. Those are my view, my criteria of finding a husband. So I decided that I was going to go to the, uh, go to a temple. Fiji didn't have a temple that time. So I saved up in those school holidays and I went to Sydney. I told my girlfriend, Luisa, I'm going to go to the temple, but I'm going to get, I'm going to pray. I'm asking the Lord, if he wants me to get married, who am I going to marry? Oh my goodness, I don't even know who I'm going to choose. I had so much challenges that before going to the temple, things just didn't work out. I, I don't know. I just went through a lot of uh, uh, spiritual trials, I guess. So when I finally made it to the Sydney temple, and that was way back in 1988, I was sitting in the initiatory. I kept praying to the Lord, Lord, I've come all the way. I need to know, if you want me to be married, who am I going to marry? A strong prompting came. And I tell you, it made my, I could feel warm feeling coming from my head right to my toes. And it was very warm. And and very strongly in my heart came the name Chesikama. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I just said, Heavenly Father, you are not right. <laughs> it can't be. Oh, my goodness, no, you cannot be right. <laughs> I said, oh, heaven's sake, I came all the way. And then I get this answer because my way of thinking, I needed somebody who was well-educated, who had more money, who was with a good job. My husband is a carpenter by trade, and I couldn't see myself, you know, I was being... I guess I was being arrogant and obnoxious, and I couldn't understand. So when I got back home, my friend asked me, so? I said, yeah, I got my answer to the question, and she said, and who? And I, I said, Jessica, and she laughed and laughed, because he was such a quiet man, <laughs> very humble, and 
you know, I'm somebody who is an extrovert. Yep. I talk too much. <laughs> I talk too loudly. And he was just a very quiet person. I couldn't see that. But the Lord had told me that that was the person I was supposed to marry. And I married him in 1981. 88, I went to the temple. 1991, we finally got married. I finally said yes. Wow. <laughs> 30, years, 30 years later. <laughs> you obviously put in a lot of effort to get there. And yeah, you went there with faith knowing that you would get an answer or hoping that you would get an answer. That's yes. impressive. I have definitely prayed for things but very half-heartedly. Well, oh. I've, I've prayed with sincerity but not really put in work. I'm a, oh, I love that you traveled yeah. so far to get that answer. Yes, I did. And it's been a testimony to me. Marriage is serious business. Heavenly Father knows it's serious business, so he wants you to take to make the effort to find the right answers on who it was to marry. So that was the first, you know, testimony for me about, you know, getting your questions answered in the temple. So in thinking about having a child, for me, I need to get to the temple because that's where the Lord will give me the answers. And uh, this is another beautiful story, which I'm looking forward to hearing more about because having children biologically was a challenge for you and your husband. When you got married... Were you both wanting children right away? What was that process like for you? Um, funny, it was never part of discussion about having children right away. Yeah, we okay. just got into marriage. We were just so busy with work, and my husband worked for the church, and I was a teacher. So we were just busy doing things that we, you know, was busy just still teaching institute. The story of having children never came. You know, we never talked about it. Until when I was 38, then we realized, oh my goodness, I think something's wrong. We can't have children. It's, you know, very late now. Uh, th- yeah. that's uh, Okay. So you'd kind of not really been focusing on it, but you had expected at some point to fall pregnant? Yes. Okay. And then yep. when that didn't happen, okay, maybe I backtrack a little because uh, when we got married in 1991, I had worked at, uh, I was a lecturer at a local technical institute. And then I decided, I applied for a position with the uh, local airline. And they and I got that job. Part of the work was to be, uh, they were relocating everybody from Suva to Nandi. Suva is where the capital is. It's about three hours from Nandi where the international airport is. So I knew I was going to move to uh, Nandi. On that first move, because it was my husband was still working in Suva, we decided that uh, we were going to ask my father-in-law if she could give us their youngest daughter, who was in uh, fifth form at that time, if she could come and live in Nandi with me, because my husband will be on the other side of the island most of the week. So that was when we first got that first child. We had my sister-in-law who was living with us. After she was lived with us for one or two years, we had three young men who finished their missions. They needed a place to stay. That was our first time. So they moved in with us and they came, looked for jobs in Nandi. And then they lived with us for three, four, five years. And then that was, and then it just went on from there. Yeah. So you and your husband have fostered how many? 24. 24 kids. 24 kids over the years. That's fantastic. Over a period of 26 years. Wow. And And you were explaining to me in Australia, it's a lot stricter with how the fostering system works. But in Fiji, there's a 
bit more of a communal. It's a cultural thing. We take, you know, we look after each other's children. Okay, I give you this child, and you can have this child, and then we can work it out legally. That's how we do it here. So with those kids, there was no fostering. It just said, okay, my child is coming there. Can you take care of him? Yes, we will do. So some stayed for six months, some stayed for five years. <laughs> and did you know they were going to be staying that long at the time when you took them in? No, no, he just went the floor. We have one at home right now. Yeah, he has his own apartment and all that. He works, but he's a full-time student. So right now he's looking after our home and driving me wherever I needed to go. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, I like having a taxi driver. <laughs> He becomes, yes, because he has his own vehicle and then he drives hours. Right. That just works really well for me. <laughs> so 24 kids, some of them were church members and some of them were just people that you knew in the community. That's, is that right? Uh, yes, some were church members. Some were relatives, relatives, cousins, okay. children, nieces, nephews. Uh, because we worked in, uh, we lived in Nandi where the International Airline is, quite a number of them came down because they wanted to be recruited as a flight attendant. So, they, And some were recruited and then they were going in for training for 10 weeks. So they live with us for 10 weeks until they find their places, until they find their, you know, their way around, they get their job is confirmed. Then they move. So, you know, all in between, that's the, the amount of time they spend with us. How many months that go on to years? Mm. Was there any particular feeling that you had or prompting that you should continue to be this couple that took in other people's children? Or was it just something that <laughs> happened naturally? <laughs> like, was it a conscious decision? <laughs> not really. It's not something that, you know, I guess we just had big hearts and we just want to help that. Yeah. It's not something that we seriously thought about. Okay, they come, okay, all right, you're here. Okay, these are the rules of our home. You're under my roof. You're my rule. So, yeah. Um, and uh, some of them are non-members, and uh, I know a few of them smoke and drink. So what I'll say, okay, you smoke and drink, you do it in your own time, in your own place, but not in my house. Okay, and yep. if it comes, so long as I don't smell it, uh, one of my best friend's son, they're, they're members of the Gospel Church. He came in, he was an apprentice with Fiji Air, with uh, Air Pacific. He came and did his attachment. So he lived with us for about a period of about three years. So if you want to smoke, you go and smoke or wherever you're going, but not anywhere near my home or near my home. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows. And then he knows if he's going to get drunk sometimes, he doesn't come to my place. He goes to his aunt, who is his father's sister. He has his own aunt, his dad's sister around in Nadi, but his mother preferred that he stayed with us because we were pretty strict with our children. Yeah, strict church members who would <laughs> tell him what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so we had church members who know, who understood the rules, and we had uh, relatives' children, friends' children who were not members who don't understand. So we had to teach them what they tell them our rules. Did you actively try and share gospel principles with them oh, and yeah, raise them they, as you would your own kids? When they're in our home, they'll have to sit for prayers. They have to sit for yep. scripture reading. They have to sit for family meeting. Yes, that's very much part of our home. So they're going to be part of it. And they'll have to read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so a lot of these 
kids now have grown up into adults and they they've been on missions and they've gotten married. Yes, they're living. I think you said they're all over the world, aren't they? Yes. Uh, well, yeah. One is there in New Zealand. Two in Melbourne. One is in the US. Oh, they're everywhere. That's how we are known around the church. The comers with a lot of kids around their home. It must have been busy, but I can imagine really rich with laughter and noise and fun memories and games. Oh, yeah. We loved it. We have our moments. I love them, though. Won't change that for anything. Well, you said that in addition to all the kids that you've raised over the years, you also have one son. Yes. That you adopted. Yeah. Yes. And I loved hearing this story the first time you told me about it. I'd love to hear how did this happen? Okay. All right. We have one son and his name is Sitiveni Elihu Rokumbuli Malekama. Sitiveni is now 25. How did we come by uh, our son? 1996. Yeah, we've had, you know, all these children who have come to live in our home and they've moved. Some are still there. Some have gone. During this time, I wanted to go to the temple and pray for a child. Now, in the Fijian custom, barren women are looked down upon. Culturally, when you get married, you're supposed to be producing children for your husband. So we have, you know, negative comments if uh, you've been married for quite a while and they still have to go, oh, she's a waste of uh, cassava. Cassava is a root crop that you eat. She's a waste of cassava. She's wasting food. Yeah. Why did you marry, you know, somebody who cannot have children? So it has an it has a negative connotation, and there's also in the church too. Obviously, we have a huge focus on family and and children. With that and the Fijian culture, that would have been really really challenging. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because none of this actually uh, came to me, but I know those are the talks that go on. But nobody I knew who had talked about me about it, so it it was never oh, okay. an issue. I know with some couples that is a big issue and the husbands will, you know, will be there. Why can't you have children? One of my friends, she went through that and I had to tell her, adopt. Mm-hmm. She's adopted and her son is now 16 years old. So culturally, you know, for us women, it can be uh, very difficult, especially, you know, especially when you have gatherings with your husband's families, you know, they can, the women can be very catty. And uh, those are the comments that can be heard. So you look at it from that cultural aspect. Yeah. Right? Being barren is something that is frowned on. It makes a woman feel that she's useless because she cannot produce. So then when you went to the temple, so you said you didn't experience too much of that yourself, but you would have had some of those thoughts flying around in your head, I'm sure. When you and your husband went there, were you praying to have a child or? I prayed because I wanted to go to the temple and pray for a child. 1996, Fiji didn't have a temple. So for members to go through the temple, they had to go to Tonga. That was the nearest temple. In January, my husband and I and a very good friend, we decided that we were going to follow a temple group from Suva that was going to go to Tonga. We wanted uh-huh. to go and pray for a child in the temple. I've always read in the scriptures and the story of Hannah always inspires me. I was reading that earlier. Uh-huh. It's okay. a what beautiful story. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we should tell the story. It's in First Samuel. 
Yes. And Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah and there's uh-huh. two uh-huh. wives. So she's she's one of the, his wives and then there's uh-huh. Peninnah. Peninnah had children but Hannah had no children. Uh-huh. And the scriptures go into a lot of detail for a female-centric story, which they often don't, about Hannah's particular feelings on the matter. It said that the Lord had shut up her womb uh-huh. and that Peninnah would actually provoke her and tease her for not being able to have children, which is just horrible. I know. I know, right? (laughs) But Hannah had a lot of faith and she would go up to the house of the Lord. She would go to the temple. And um, at this particular point in the story, it says that she was weeping and she wasn't eating. And her husband tried to comfort her. And I don't know if you had a similar experience, but her husband is like, why are you weeping? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? But she was still, she really wanted a child. And yeah, in this story, what struck me was the bitterness of her pain. Um, It says she was in bitterness of souls, the depth of her pain, but also the faith that she had. She makes a promise to God that if you give me a child, then I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. Like, what faith is that? She goes in and she says, I'm going to make a promise to you and you better deliver, Heavenly Father. <laughs> it's you just, got yeah. it right because that story was the one that, you know, that had motivated me, it inspired me. It's the story of Hannah and she's old. I keep telling myself, if Hannah can get a child from the temple, from the Lord at that age, I can get one too. Do we learn of her age? I don't. I must have missed that bit. No, it didn't. Didn't. But I, I know for sure that she was much older. So yeah, we took off to Tonga, and in the temple, yeah, we were there for three days, and in the temple, kept praying. Now, the story that unfolded maybe wasn't what you initially expected. Can you tell me what happened after that? Very interesting. Okay, we came back. That was January. I go to work because of my work. It took me around uh, the stations for the airlines, and one of the stations was in New Zealand. So I used to go quite often to uh, Auckland to do training. March, I had uh, training in Auckland that I had to go and conduct. And when we go there, we have families. I have uh, cousins who live in Auckland. So one of my cousins came. She picked me up for dinner. And I looked at her, and I said, Hey, you pregnant? And she said, you mad. You know very well that I had my tubes tied. <laughs> so that we went for dinner. We came back. And then um, then I came back home. That was March. And then I normally don't go to New Zealand in April. But somehow I, I forgot what it was that I went to do and met up with this cousin again. She came and picked me up. She said, you know what? She told her grandmother. that was uh, She was also a grandmother of mine. She said, I told Bo, when you left, you were like a witch. <laughs> I said, why am I a witch? She said, because you asked me if I was pregnant. I already had my tubes tied. When you left, I realized I found out I was pregnant. Wow. <laughs> you know, when you have your tubes tied, you don't get pregnant again. It happens one in every, how many, 10,000 people? Well, she was but one she of them. she fell pregnant. Yeah, she fell pregnant. You know, this is all casual conversation. She said, and, you know, my husband needs to go to work. Because her husband had been stuck at home looking after the, her two other sons. She said, he's been waiting to go back to work so that, you know, um, so this child, is, I need somebody who can come and help babysit. 
Okay, I can find somebody from you from Fiji and send her over. Okay, story went on. Okay, how about if I can't find somebody, you're going to give me that child I take home. I look after that child for a year and I send it back to you. Okay, I can do that. Or better still, how about you give me that child since you're not ready for it? Very, very casually. Did you understand what you were offering at the time? Like, did you think no, it was going to was turn into something words. serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just wanted to help her out. Okay. Yeah. I said, okay, there's, I, I know women in back home who can go do babysitting and all that. Then, then the next day, she can pick me up again. She said, I went and talked with uh, her husband, John, and not boys, Nicholas and uh, Jonathan. And they said, give the baby to Auntie Sulu. She doesn't. She's, it's sad because she doesn't have any children. She said, you can have the baby. I said, really? Yes, really. <laughs> and I told her, okay, let me go home and get, do my research and find out what it is that I need to prepare for so that we can get this child. So I was advised to go to social welfare department and the social welfare department said, we have forms for, mm -hmm. you know, to, uh, for adopting a child. So they gave me the forms. So I traveled back to New Zealand, I think around July, gave the forms and her and her husband signed it off for me, which means they're signing off their rights to the child, to me. Wow. It just makes it sound so easy. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Our grandmother wasn't very happy. She said, what kind is this? What? And then the, they said, oh, she's family. That's all right. And that was it. And she said, okay, wow. I'm giving birth at the end of September. So you have to be here at end of September. So she went to the hospital and she was advised that as soon as she gives birth, she needs to give that child away right away before she has any emotional attachment. So by end of September, I took my husband and my mom. We went. We went and waited for her to give birth. And she was delayed for about another two weeks. So I had to come back to work. So my husband and my mom stayed there. Until she gave birth, she brought the child home to them. Oh, my goodness. And had to wait for a week to get the uh, passport. Yep. And then I went back and brought them home. Wow. And it took two years in courts in Fiji because they've never had such a case. So our court, there was no precedence on our case. Because Fiji adoptions normally is adoption from country going out. There's never been one that gets child from overseas and brings him home to be adopted. And comes in. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And through all this, I could just see that was the Lord's hand answering our prayers, answering our prayers through another. So we gave him the Hebrew name, Elihu, meaning man of faith, to remind us that it was through our faith that we got this child. And I promise that we will send this child on a mission to give back to the Lord what he had given us, just as what Hannah had done. Wow, you really are a modern-day Hannah. Oh, Going to the temple. Oh, man, I admire that lady. And it was through her example that, you know, and I'm happy now that we got our answers. And that's a great testimony of, me, of mine, that what, what we ask the Lord in the temple, and if he knows it's right for us, he will give it to us. He'll answer our, our questions and our, and our prayers. Oh, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and, yeah, for talking about the temple in, in such a real way in the sense that 
when we go there, it can be more than just a nice time. It can actually have real consequences for our lives if we mm-hmm. have the faith, if we kind of make that experience, if we carve it out to be something special every now and then, we yeah. can have those experiences. Yeah. We have to have the <sighs> faith. The faith is the first step. Okay. <laughs> the Levite priests, they were going to the River Jordan. And mm-hmm. Heavenly Father told them he will part the waters for them to walk the, the Ark of the Covenant. But first they need to put their feet in the water to show their side, their faith. They had to put their feet. So we have to have the faith. And we have some impossible dreams that we know only Heavenly Father can give us. Yeah, true. We didn't, you know, I did not realize because my patriarchal blessing said that I'll have children. I did not realize. And I said, Heavenly Father, I only got one. How come? It was until one of our state conferences, I was invited to speak. I was talking about families and I was thinking about my experience. Then I started counting the kids we had looked after all throughout our lives. And I realized Oh my goodness, I did not, biologically I couldn't have a child, but the Lord had blessed us with these many children who had come into our lives, left our lives, but stayed in our hearts. That was his promise in my patriarchal blessing. It really dawned on me at that time, and I realized this is what the Lord had said about children. And I find myself teaching always in institute. So that was another way that I connected with young single adults. And uh, for 30, 40 years, we've been teaching institute. 36 years I've been teaching institute. 36 years? Oh, wow. Oh, so you've got how many hundreds of children then? (laughs) We can count all the people that you've taught over the years. I thought that was was (laughs) the only way. I didn't realize when I started going, oh, Oh, the Lord had blessed our lives with all these children. They become our children. What do you think you've learned? Well, what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned from all the years that you've spent with your own adopted son and then these other children? I've learned that the Lord loves us. And I learned that uh, there's so much love to share. I've learned that I can be the Lord's instrument, that we can be Lord's instrument in getting these children to realize their own goals and their own dreams. We are a means in which we can uh, help them, uh, encourage them, help them strengthen their testimonies. You know, you never know when you are needed, when you are down and out. If I am be able to reach up, uh, reach out a hand and help somebody who is down and out and help that person get on his feet and go his way, I'll be happy. So when the kids all left, I, I looked at my husband and I said, what? What are we going to do now? What is it to us? <laughs> we've had to it must to. be very strange. <laughs> very strange. We're so used to having kids around. And then, then they're all up and they finish their machines and they've gone their own ways, merry ways, everywhere they got to. So, no, yes. no more arguing, fights, <laughs> oh, man, <I laughs> loud music you. playing. And especially when they go out at night. Okay, you home. <laughs> 12, before 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I start coming home. And then I cannot sleep. And I look at my husband, he's snoring away. Here I am. <laughs> he's fine. Walking <laughs> up and down, texting and calling the kids. Where are you? Oh. It's, oh. Mid- it's getting, you need to get home. And when they finally home, oh, then I can sleep. 
They drove me nuts when they do those things. So they always said, you always remember to call me and tell me where you are because so that I'll know where to go and rescue you when you need help. Yeah, we've loved it. We've loved it. We've never exchanged anything. We'll never. Those experiences have really taught us that though I may not be a biological mom, I can still be a mother and go through that experience. Oh, so lovely. I was just wondering if you had any words of comfort or advice to give potentially to couples who might might be struggling with infertility or who just their vision of their family isn't kind of what they initially planned. The Lord knows each of us. He, he has given us different blessings in life. He has different things for us. The patriarchal blessing is a great, is a great reminder of the potential blessings that we can get. If we are not blessed to be able to have children, especially for us women, if we're parents, that's not the end of the road. Because we still can be mothers in the things that we do in our callings. We can still be mothers if we adopt children and help those that are in need. We can still be mothers in teaching young single adults, teaching in primary, teaching in youth. We can still be mothers and fathers. But whatever it is, it's not the end of the road. And don't get frustrated because you just don't know what the Lord has in, in for you. If you have the faith, pour out your heart to the Lord. Pour it out in the temple and ask Him to help guide you as to what to do. Whether you can adopt or whether you can continue as you are, what is it that He wants you to experience in life? Because not being able to bear children is not the end of the road. It's not the end of the world. There's many ways we can reach out and still enjoy having a family. Thank you. I, that's really comforting. We all have feelings of not being sure what the Lord might have in store for us. And I really, really resonated with what you said about just trusting in the Lord that He might have a different plan. Yeah. But if we go to Him in faith and prayer, then He'll He'll help us find our purpose, whether that be, yeah, being a, a parent or serving in some other way. It doesn't matter. Right, whether you give birth biologically, so long as you can take care of that child as your own, that's what the Lord wants us to do. We are actually helping the Lord bring His spirit children to the earth, even if through by adoption. Yeah, thank you so much. That was really nice. <laughs> well, the final question that I had for you today was in relation to the title of this podcast, which is Choosing Faith. And obviously you've talked today immensely about the faith that you need to have when you go to the temple to mm -hmm. ask questions from God and and just in general. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy. So what does choosing faith mean to you? Um, you know, as the Apostle Paul taught, faith is a substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen, as in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And Alma made a similar statement in uh, Alma 32, verse 21. He says, if he have faith, he hope for things which are not seen, which are true. So faith is a principle of action and power. The action was for you to ask for something you need. He wants you to do your work first. I'm always reminded of faith without works is dead. Because I believe that the Lord is not going to give it to you on a silver platter unless you really work for it. 
because he says he wants to teach you something. And for me, he wants that was the way in which I could, that little faith that I have, I also needed to be obedient. So I need to do my homework. So how do I do that? By having the faith that the Lord will answer my prayers in the temple. And when he finally answers my temple, what do I do next? So it dictates the way, the things that I needed to do. And uh, sometimes the Lord will just, you know, open opportunities that you never thought were possible. And that is because you have given him that opportunity. You have opened your heart. So he's giving you the inspiration on how you can do that. for listening to this week's episode. I don't know about you, but I felt very inspired by Sulu's determination to receive an answer from her father in heaven and her utter conviction that she would receive one if she traveled to the temple. Definitely an example to learn from. This episode also wraps up season two of Choosing Faith. I'll be taking some time away to spend with my little newborn and prepare the next round of interviews for season three. I appreciate all the support for this podcast, and I hope that you found the story so far to be inspiring and uplifting. Until I'm in your ear once again, stay healthy and safe. I'll be back.